Well, good morning. Just in case you're brand new here and you have heard around that, that churches are dead, you have realized that is not true here. Amen? I tell you what, what a wonderful way to start the church service. My goodness. And I'm telling you, I'm about three times into this thing. So I'm, y'all going to have to forgive me. You can imagine, like, it's almost like I've had 80 cups of spiritual coffee right now. Because it's been that kind of day all day long. It's hard not to get excited about 20 people being baptized. Amen. I'm thankful to God for that. Seven, seven of those folks being baptized were baptized at the Five Forks campus alone. And that's pretty exciting about what God's doing there. Yeah. So a lot of stuff happening all across uh, the church, and uh, man, we're so excited that you're here. I want to give you a little bit of a heads up about next Sunday, because next Sunday when you get here, I'm just going to go and tell you, I want everybody to come back, but it, we're going to be packing it in that North Auditorium. This room is going to actually be uh, going through some uh, maintenance repairs with the AVL that take about 13 days. Uh, we're saying 13 by faith, that we're not going to have to do this two Sundays. Um, and so next Sunday, we will not worship in here. We'll be on the other side of the lobby. Um, that North Auditorium uh, should hold us all if we suck in and move in on the rows and, and get skinnier. Don't eat a lot this week and we'll be okay, all right? So, uh, hey, don't miss it. Be here. We'll have overflow uh, on the third floor uh, if, if, it, if it runs out of room. And so we want you to be here. Don't miss because of that. But I do want you to be aware uh, that that's going to be the case. We'll be directing you in there uh, next Sunday. It's going to be a super exciting day. And then we'll be back in here the next Sunday. We have been exploring the basic beliefs about Christianity for several weeks now. And uh, we've been talking about God the Father, creator, redeemer of the universe. God the Son, Jesus Christ, who was all, not just divine. He was divinely God, God in flesh. Uh, but he died, he was buried, he rose again, and last week uh, kind of went even to the ascension. He ascended into heaven. These are basic Christian beliefs. These aren't like super radical extremists. No, these are like, if you're a Christian, you believe this stuff, this is what we believe. And so we've done this for a reason, because in our day, our, our day of cultural chaos, it's, uh, it's any wonder that anybody can believe right because the world is crazy, man. Everything's going crazy. And it spills over oftentimes into the church. And we get m mis uh, really manipulated. We actually manipulate sometimes the gospel. Churches twist and, and, uh, and kind of manufacture new beliefs that they call Christian, but, uh, but they're not Christian at all. So it's important for us to come back to these foundations and talk about what does it mean to be a Christian. Today, we're shifting gears from Father, uh, God the Father, God the Son. We're moving into a study on God the Holy Spirit. And so here's the statement from the Apostles' Creed that is, that is basically our framework. Now, we're diving into the Scriptures. We don't preach the Creed. We preach the Bible. John chapter 14 is where we'll be in just a moment. If you want to go and turn in, turn on your Bibles to John 14. But, uh, but the Creed, the portion of the Creed we're talking about today says quite simply... I believe in the Holy Spirit. Would you say that with me? I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, in saying that, what do we mean? I mean, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next 30 minutes. What do we mean by Holy Spirit? Uh, quite simply, the first thing that we have to just know 
is that we believe the Holy Spirit is God. We believe the Holy Spirit is God. Would you go ahead and say that with me? The Holy Spirit is God. Now, whatever else we think about the Spirit, we must admit this to begin with, that just like the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. It's why we say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, that is the Trinity. We're Trinitarian believers. This is what Christians believe. And so, just to be clear, if anybody gets confused, it's welcome to the club, man, uh, to, to, to try to fathom an unfathomable God, to try to, to, uh, to grasp an infinite being is impossible. We can't possibly totally understand how God is one God. We're monotheists. We believe in one God who is presented in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, separate yet one. Very, very complicated, yet he's God. And that is the simplest explanation to begin with. And so it's important as we look at the Holy Spirit that we don't think somehow the Spirit is secondary. Somehow the Holy Spirit is a secondary alternative to the Father, a secondary alternative to Jesus Christ, the Son. We're going to really dive into and embrace what's the importance of the Holy Spirit. What do we mean when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit? Now, I've been a Baptist longer than I've been a Christian, all right? The reason why is because I was born the son of a Baptist preacher, all right? So I was born into church. I was a Baptist, uh, but I wasn't a Christian until I was seven. So at seven years old, I declared personally my faith in Jesus. I followed the Lord in believer's baptism like we just watched. And there's a very important distinction about what we believe about baptism. We believe that baptism is useless in a sense of truly baptism if it's not a decision that we make to be baptized because it's a believer's baptism. We come to faith in Jesus Christ. My mom and dad could not make a decision for me that, that would have been legitimate enough for me to be saved. I had to personally come to faith in Christ. When I declared my faith in Jesus, then I was personally baptized because I made a decision to follow Jesus in baptism. And so with all that, we understand, look, I, I've been a Baptist a long time, a longer, long time, longer than I've been a Christian. And with that, I feel like I'm qualified to make a couple of statements about what Baptists sometimes errantly believe. Maybe even more generally, Christians errantly believe about the Holy Spirit. Most of us have an unhealthy misunderstanding of the work of the Spirit. Most of us fall into one of two categories. We're either shocked and scared of the Spirit or we go crazy like we're riding a wave at the ocean, you know? It's like one, one of two crazy extremes and oftentimes, just like everything else, guys, this is like human life here. Just like everything else, we miss the balance, the biblical balance of not being disorderly, crazy, just, you know, chaos, but also not trying to control something in someone who is uncontrollable. The Holy Spirit of God is not to be controlled by me. He's not to be controlled by you. But at the same time, we don't have to work him up. I feel like some, sometimes what we fall into a trap of is we think the Spirit is either something we stomp out because the fire is getting a little too high, you know what I'm saying? It's getting a little too, oh, that's, that's just a little crazy right there, you know? I remember one time, this is no lie, in the traditional service. <laughs> in the traditional service, we had somebody literally come down front and start dancing during a song. Y'all just think y'all are the fired up ones in this church, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he was literally dancing, and I, I could tell 90% of them was about to have a heart attack. Amen? <laughs> but, and I'm not suggesting you do that. Here's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying that 
there's a wide variety of opinions, and sometimes when something happens, we think we gotta, we gotta stomp it out. The Spirit's something we gotta either stomp out or it's something we gotta fire up. We gotta stir it up. Let's stir up the Spirit. Let's, let's, get, him, let's get him going. Let's manipulate. Let's manufacture some emotion that'll get this place fired up. And here's the thing. Neither one of those are correct. I think, I think we can muffle and we can manufacture the Spirit, and in both cases, be very wrong. Most Christians think it's a choice between stomping it out and working it up. But the Spirit is not a thing to be worked up. He is not a thing to be stomped out. He is the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit is God. Hebrews 12, 29 says that our God is a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire. It's no wonder we want to stomp Him out sometimes. Because there is no halfway getting consumed by the Spirit. He either has all of you or he has none of you. Look, the Lord, the Lord has purchased you. Jesus Christ, by his blood, purchased you with a price. And the Spirit of God now has sealed you, Scripture says, at salvation. You are no longer your own. I'm no longer my own. I belong to God. So we can fan the flame, but we cannot put the flame out. In just a moment, we're going to look at the three points, the major points. If you follow on the app, there's a free app you can download. And every Sunday, fill in the blanks on the points and follow the scripture. Uh, but, but we're going to get to those three points. I have some introductory principles that I want to share with you before we get there. Five, you're like, oh no. Five introductory principles before we get to our three major points. And uh, here, here's some introductory principles about the Holy Spirit that I think will help us understand just foundationally what uh, we need to learn about the Spirit. First of all, it's possible to miss the spiritual forest for the religious trees. I'm going to say them several times so you can jot them down or type them in your phone. It's possible to miss the spiritual forest for the religious trees. And so this is exactly what the Pharisees did all throughout the Gospels. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, standing in front of them. And they missed Him totally. I mean, they missed... The, the spiritual forest for the religious trees. They, they couldn't see God when he came. 1 Timothy 3, 5 says that some people have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And this is what we're talking about. A lot of people go to church, but going to church does not make you a Christian. Going to First Baptist Church does not make you a Christian. Being, being a member a First Baptist Church, Upstate Church, does not make you a, a, a Christian, all right? Just because you're a member of a church does not mean you're a follower of Jesus. And so the Pharisees were doing everything religiously correct in their minds. They were following all their rules, but they missed Jesus when he stood right in front of them. It's possible to miss the spiritual force for the religious tree. Secondly, something can't come out if it's not inside. Something can't come out if it's not inside. Galatians chapter 5, jot down that reference. It's the uh, fruits of the Spirit are in Galatians chapter 5. And we could go through those and have a whole sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what I want you to hear. That the reason they're called the fruits of the Spirit is because those are, those are results. Those are demonstrations that come through your life as a result of the Spirit of God living inside of you. That's not accidental. It's natural. It's because He lives in you you produce the Spirit of God. Now, I would say, absolutely acknowledge, that it's possible for us to know the Lord and, and wander away from Him 
we could call it maybe drift away from where we should be with the Lord. And when that happens, what happens to your spiritual tank, in essence, Scripture talks about the filling of the Spirit. And the, the filling of the Spirit is a real thing, all right? So we believe when you are saved, when you ask Christ to save you, you repented of your sin, He came into your heart and your life, He radically transformed you. That is when you were baptized by the Holy Spirit, all right? For anybody who, who reads that in the Scriptures, definitely different in Acts chapter 2 because of the unique experience of Jesus having walked with those disciples. But after that, once we've been changed and the Spirit has sealed us into the day of redemption, here's what happens. We're actually walking through a sin-sick world. And so as we walk through this sin-sick world, we recognize there are days where things go bad and we don't respond the way we should. We don't live the way we should. We fall to temptation. We mess up. What's happening? Our tank is running low. I mean, we are spiritually low. And so we have to constantly be refilled, not in the sense of justification, salvation, but in the sense of the sanctifying work of God in our life. We've got to constantly be exposed to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Because if the Spirit of God is in us, then the fruit of that Spirit will come out of us. A person filled with the Holy Spirit cannot hide it. Luke 6, 45 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we know what is inside will come outside. Number three, we may miss the treasure for fear of being associated with pirates. And this may seem a little weird, but I want you to hear this. Here's the thing. I think a lot of Christians resist the Holy Spirit because we're afraid of being associated with crazy people. All right? Now, I don't want to, I'm not meaning any disrespect or insult to anybody who came up in any background. But I'm, look, I'm talking to a bunch of Baptists right now, all right? And the truth is, a lot of y'all all right? A lot of Baptists are afraid of being associated with people who kind of go maybe a little too far in their minds. And it, and it may very well be that people around you just have the Spirit of God living inside of them. It may very well be that they're not doing anything out of order, that they're just worshiping God and and they're fired up. They're just as fired up about Jesus saving them as they were about the Clemson win yesterday. Don't look so spiritual at me. I know, y'all. Listen, here's the truth. Yesterday, I was passionate, right? I was passionate to the Alabama-Texas game. And I wasn't very spiritual, amen? That was a trying, trying time in my life. The truth is, I... I I was passionate, though. I mean, and me and Amy, we, something would happen. Go, woo, yeah, yeah, woo. We'll get in church. People in church were like. <laughs> Bryce threw a touch. Woo, yeah, yeah. Boom, baby. In the Longhorn's face. That's what I want to say, you know. <laughs> Come to church. We're just frozen chosen. Frozen chosen, amen? Frozen chosen. But just, you know, and some people try to spiritualize. You ever talk to somebody? Well, I just think the church is somewhere to be reverent. Reverent doesn't mean dead, amen? Oh, it's just a place where, you know, we just, we just got to be holy. Holy doesn't mean stuffy, right? Here's the thing. We're not here because we are at a funeral for a dead man. We come to Sunday church because we're worshiping a man who rose from the dead, right? Yeah. We're not, we're not 
We're not like coming to church to get all bored. Man, I can be bored anywhere, man, right? This is not a place to, to dread coming. This is not a place, well, I'll go to church, do God a favor. Man, you ought to be begging to come to church, man. This ought to be at the top of your priority list. You ought to feel, feel real. I mean, I'm serious. This is the way we, because we miss for vacation. I mean, my, my family will go here and there. I used to not because I was insane, you know. But I, I, I miss sometimes to go on trips and stuff. And you need to understand, listen, I'm not trying to say don't go on trips. But it ought to be tough. You ought to want to worship God with the family of God so much it's difficult to miss. This ought to be a priority in your life. What is that? That's the Spirit of God, man. That's the Spirit of God inside of you that just produces the fruit of the Spirit. And we bear witness with those who also have the Spirit of God living inside of them. We may miss the treasure for fear of being associated with pirates. Don't let your view of somebody else going too far stop you from giving God your best worship. For real quickly, fourth principle, we ain't got to the stuff yet, all right? Our fear and skepticism can cause us to miss God's best for us. So stop, stop just being Baptist and won't you just be a follower of Jesus who happens to be a member of a Baptist church, all right? Because, look, I'm telling you, a lot of, and I'm not suggesting anything. Look, I thought you, thought you was the president of South Carolina Baptist Convention. You know, that's not very denominational of you. Look, I'm a Christian before I'm a Baptist. Amen? I'm a follower of Jesus, right? You are a follower of Jesus. And so let's, let's not allow our preconceived cultural ideas of what a Christian ought to be determine what we are. Let's let the Word of God and the Spirit of God get a hold of us and change us for God's glory. Fifth and final, we think we got to get to the message. We ain't got there yet, all right? Fifth thing, we must not confuse one's being culturally dignified with being spiritual holy. Spiritually holy. This is, man, I wish I could talk for a while about this. We must not confuse one's being culturally dignified with being spiritually holy. We, what, what we consider to be holy can actually be sinful in God's eyes. You may say, well, how do we know that? Just look again at the Pharisees. They were motivated by this, this idea of being culturally dignified. They were spiritually elite. Let me just say, there's, there's no Christian who's got it right with Jesus that sees themselves as an elitist. Spiritually. When, the more you know Jesus, the more you know you are down here without him, man. The more that the Spirit is inside of you living and you're filled with the Spirit of God, the less you judge everybody else and the more you are submitted and yielded to him and you're saying, man, I've got to, I've got to do everything I can to introduce all of those people to Jesus because he changed me. I wasn't worthy. He, and they're not worthy. But they could get the same Jesus that I have. See, that's what happens in us is that we don't allow the, the, the religious stuff to get in the way of the Spirit of God in our hearts and our lives. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What's that mean? man? The, just Peter. Let's just talk about Peter in, in particular. The night before the death of Jesus, Peter denies Jesus three times in front of 10 or 20 people. We don't have any idea how many were there, but it's a small group. There was a, crowd, a small crowd around Peter when he denied him three times. 
He refused to even say that he knew the man, Jesus of Nazareth. What happened from that point to Acts chapter 2 when Peter is now standing boldly in front of thousands of people? Thousands of people. This is the, like within the week. Peter's standing in front of thousands of people declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly to the point that we're literally, he was like, if, look, if they come and kill me, take my life, man. I'm all in with Jesus. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit. Now he has been encountered by the resurrected Christ. Big deal. We talked about that last week, right? But even beyond the resurrection, Jesus then tells the disciples, I'm going to send you another helper. And that's where we've got to get real quickly. If you'll go with me to John chapter 14. We have 11 minutes and 15 seconds, all right? So I want you to lean with me. John 14. Context is so important in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14... The man who had led these disciples for three years. They had left everything. Jesus called them. They left everything. Levi left his tax table. Peter left his fishing nets. They left everything. Left their families. They followed Jesus. And now Jesus is telling them that I'm going to leave you. He says, let not your hearts be troubled in John 14.1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Why? Because their hearts were troubled. Their hearts were discouraged. They were desperate. They were feeling upset because Jesus had told them, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going. I'm leaving you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You think, I know when we read this, we think that's great news. But here's the, the disciples, that was not great news. They were discouraged. They were distraught. They had to have been saying, wait a minute, Jesus. Oh, wait. Jesus, we haven't gone anywhere for three years that you haven't told us to go. Jesus, I hadn't eaten anything for three years that you hadn't told me to eat. I, I hadn't said anything for three years that you hadn't told me to say. I mean, how are we going to know what to do? What are we going to do? Look at verse, uh, verse, chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Say those two words with me. Another helper. He's going to give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, speaking of his disciples, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so there are three things really quickly that I'm going to give you that we learn from this text about the Holy Spirit. Here's the first one. The Holy Spirit is our helper. It says it right there in the scripture. I'm going to send you another helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Now what's that word helper? I know sometimes when people talk about the Greek, we sit there and go, oh Lord, here we go. But the New Testament was written in Greek. The word there, helper, is paraclete. Paraclete has a lot of English words that it could mean, and helper is one of those. Your translation may say comforter. Your translation may say counselor. Your translation may say advocate. All of those would be true. So this helper, this paraclete, Jesus is sending us another paraclete. He's sending us another helper, another advocate. He's sending us another counselor, another comforter. And then there's another word, a protector. See that that root para literally 
carries with it the idea to come alongside and then klitos means to call. So God the Father is to calling, he's calling the Holy Spirit alongside. But para, if you think in the English language, something, a word that jumped out at me this week was parachute. All right? Same, same phonetic, same word in the sense of para. And, and here it's protection. What does a parachute do? It protects you from falling and plummeting to your death. Amen? That's what a parachute does, right? It protects. And so the paraclete, it also protects us. The Holy Spirit protects us. He protects us not only from earthly dangers, but he has sealed us for the day of redemption. He protects us ultimately from the accuser as he is our advocate along with our other paraclete, Jesus Christ. And that's why we see the word another. When he says, I'm going to send you another paraclete, he's saying, in my place. Because John's gospel, it's the only place the word paraclete is even mentioned. And uh, John's gospel also mentions Jesus as the paraclete. So he's saying, I'm going to send you another comforter. I've been comforting you, but I'm going to send another comforter. I'm going to send you another protector. I've been protecting you. I've been your advocate. I'm going to send you another advocate, another comforter, another counselor. And so in doing so, he sent the Holy Spirit, our helper. So he is our helper. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Look at verse 25. John 14, 25. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Three things real quickly in the sense of how the Holy Spirit teaches us. First of all, the Holy Spirit teaches us by illumination of God's word. Man, this is so important. This is foundational Christian stuff. The word of God is the revelation of God. All right? Everybody say revelation. Revelation. I know you're like, some of y'all are like, I thought that was a book of the Bible. It is. It's the last book of the Bible, but I'm not talking about that. I mean, it's, it is, God has revealed himself in his word. This is the revelation of God. It's important for us to understand there is no new revelation. If, if we were to be asked, well, do you believe, uh, uh, can a new, another faith come up with a new revelation? Can God inspire another book? It's why we don't embrace, for instance, the Book of Mormon. It's because they believe it's a new revelation of God. That's what they say. And so understand, we don't, but Christians do not believe in a new revelation. Here's what we do believe. We believe that God has revealed himself. He's spoken. It's God breathed is the inspiration. That's what the word is, inspiration. So he's breathed this word. He's communicated with us. He's revealed himself. And an illumination by the Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God teaching us what God has already revealed to us. You may say, I am lost. This is easy. Listen, when, when I started, when God got a hold of my life, I'm talking about radically changed my life, y'all. Radically just transformed. I'm talking about even post-salvation. The Lord really got a hold of me in about 21 years old. That's around that time that uh, a year after I met Amy, which was a massive part about God. God uses a woman in a lot of men's lives, and he used her, certainly. But, uh, but he just changed my life. I, my, my want-to's changed. I mean, I, everything about me. Just I was just loved. I wanted all, all he had. Well, I, I took a, a highlighter and a Bible. I've lost it now. I don't know where the Bible is. But I started Genesis 1-1 with a highlighter. I didn't know any better. I just started whoosh, whoosh, highlighting every, every line of the Bible. All right? 
I'd turn a page, I'd read more. I just wanted to remember where I got to. You know? <laughs> I didn't know you could just like mark the page, all right? But I, I, I just, I highlighted, and, and I, I was so hungry for the word, so hungry. Before that day, though, I would have been the guy who would have said, man, I just don't get the Bible. I read the Bible, and I'm like, I don't know what it said. You know why? I, went, I was not truly filled with the Spirit of God. I was running on empty. I was passing the gas stations, and I was saying, forget that, man. I got this. I got this. I was not being illuminated to the Word. My mind was not illuminated to the revelation of God because I, I wasn't being filled with the Spirit. And so all that changed was the Spirit of God filled me, and then everything, it's like, whew, things I'd read before, boom. You know how light bulb came on, illuminated. I, I was, the Scripture was illuminated to me. I, I, I saw it like I'd never seen it before. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He also teaches us, secondly... By the supernatural act of reminding. And that is, we've heard things before. Maybe you heard them in Sunday school when as a little kid or teenager. Or maybe you heard them on a Sunday morning. And then on Monday or Saturday, the Holy Spirit brings it back to mind. It's the supernatural reminding of what you've already been told. Um, preachers say this sometimes. I don't know if they say it out loud as much as to each other. But good preaching is telling people what you're going to tell them. Tell them and then tell them what you told them. You ever heard that? That's what a lot of... And so I think in a lot of ways that's what God does in our lives. He, he does in a lot of ways tell us, and then he tells us what he told us. <laughs> He's constantly reminding us of the things we already know. And, and look, the fact of the matter is, the Holy Spirit teaches us well, and that leads us to the third way the Holy Spirit teaches us. He convicts us. He convicts our hearts. He convicts us of sin in our lives. We discussed this Wednesday night. Some of you are in the parenting class that Amy and I are leading on Wednesday nights. And Amy uh, said this during that study last Wednesday. Conviction is a gift of grace. That is a great word. And I'll be honest, I don't know that I'd ever heard it prior to this study. Conviction is a gift of grace. And here's why it's a gift of grace. It's, it's like God tapping us on the shoulder and reminding us, hey, that's sin. Run from it. No, here's where I want you to go. Conviction. You know, conviction is that thing when you're on Woodruff Road and somebody cuts you off, right? And, and you feel the Holy Spirit tapping you and saying, I mean, my hand's on the horn. Don't, don't press the horn, Wayne, you know? Or, or when your children have done something wrong and you just want to lash out in anger. The conviction of the Spirit, even after it's over with, even after you've sinned, maybe you've let your anger get the best of you and you've, you've been overcome by rage with your wife or your husband. Look, or a neighbor or a friend. You're just, mm. The Holy Spirit convicts your heart. You know what it feels like. That's him teaching you. That's him teaching you. That, sometimes people come and they'll say, hey, I don't know if this is what I need to do or not. You know, it's a little gray area. By the way, there's no gray areas with God. And I think oftentimes what I usually tell people, if you've got to ask, you probably shouldn't do it. Because it's probably the Holy Spirit telling you, that's a bad idea. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our teacher. Then third and final, he's our peace. The Holy Spirit is our peace. Jesus had been the source of peace for the disciples for three years. And now they're terrified. Consider, too, the fact that Jesus is telling his disciples all of this information. 
moments before he will be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, drugged through the streets of Jerusalem, beaten to a pulp, drug up to Golgotha and nailed to a brutal cross where he will bleed and die for our sins. And his message is peace I leave with you. John 14, 25, I'm sorry, 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give, let not your heart be troubled. He told him a second time. Neither let, it be, let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'll go come back for you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I am. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you're going to believe. I will no longer talk much with you. I'm almost done. I mean, basically, he's saying I'm about to go to the cross. For the ruler of this world is coming. The devil is coming. The enemy is coming. Satan is coming. But he has no claim on me, Jesus said. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Why did he say he has no claim of me? He's saying, I'm not going to the cross because I have to. This is, this is not a demonic coercion. It's a divine compliance. I'm not going to the cross because I'm being forced to go to the cross. I'm not being manipulated or tricked into dying for you. This is all part of the master plan. Hear the words of Jesus. He has no claim on me. Satan has nothing on me, Jesus said. He has no valid accusation against me. Though the enemy has made every attempt to discredit, every attempt to trick, to slander, to twist, he's lost the battle. He has not one little sin by which he can hook Jesus and drag him to the ground. He has no claim on me. Why? Because Satan has no power over a sinless man. And Jesus Christ, though he walked on this earth for 33 years, he lived without sin. He had no claim on Jesus. This isn't demonic coercion. It's divine compliance. Jesus chose to die. He went to the cross willingly. Now, nothing else in this life will bring you peace more than that truth provides. And that is that Jesus has given himself. He's conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he's provided us another comforter, another helper, Another, another advocate, that is God, the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Look, Jesus leaves us with this peace. What peace? Well, it's one thing to say that the devil has no claim on him. But because of his work on the cross, because of the sealing of the Spirit of God, not only is it true that the enemy has no claim on him, but if you have been saved by the blood, if you've been sealed by the Spirit, then the enemy has no claim on you either. Now that is a reason to celebrate today. Yes. Man, he's won. He's won the battle. The Spirit is not something to muffle. He's not something we've got to manufacture. But he is someone 
we must yield our lives to. Follow unconditionally. Be filled to the top so that we're not operating in this crazy, chaotic world on our own. Because if we do, we will fall flat on our face even though Jesus Christ has paid our sin debt. I'm going to pray for you today. But look, I'm going to pray for you that you wouldn't just be religious but that you would be surrendered to the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit like never before, used for His glory. Lord, we love you, and I thank you for your word. It is so good. There's never a time, God, there's never a time we open your word that you don't speak. Forgive us, God, when we're so ignorant. God, forgive us when we're so careless, complacent, We just go through the motions. We don't even act like this is a big deal. But God, we are meeting you here today. But we don't leave you when we leave the church, God, because you live in us. You live in us. You empower us, God. Would you give us that confidence as we sing and celebrate? In your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?